Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger? and your wrath according to the fear of you. So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. If you're visiting, uh, please consider returning soon to hear the gospel from the regular preacher. Pastor Sam, who is, uh, I believe, is uh, in South Korea right now. I'm thankful to be the assistant pastor, associate pastor, as being, um, as being a lead pastor of a church in this season seems tough and beyond my capability. Um, God spared me the troubles of leading a church through a pandemic, a pandemic that has been the death of many in a generation, if the count is correct, a million um, American lives and even churches have closed. As verse 10 says, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their strength, yet their span is by toil and trouble. Toil and trouble. A pandemic, the troubles of another mass shooting, terrorism, political polarization. On a lighter note, I have counted the years multiple times of having, trying to count how many years I have uh, to counsel my kids to go to college. Um, after college, I don't really have much to give, but I'm just counting the years, or the number of times I'll file my income tax just in time. Toil and trouble. While trying to deal with life's toil and trouble, I've been comforted by reflecting on what the Bible says about time. I've been thinking for a while and procrastinating on this sermon series, a series of indefinite length. Uh, mainly that means whenever Pastor Sam asks me to preach, I'm gonna be preaching on this for a while. 
The nature of time usually is the scope of physicists. They measure time with atomic clocks these days. And philosophers, uh, they opine and reason about time. Yet God in the Bible speaks. From Psalm 90 that was just read, we learn how does God teach time management? Moses is attributed to be the author of Psalm 90. He's leading Israel out of Egypt after 10 plagues, and the people are definitely not cooperating. Three truths about time management we learn from Moses and his prayer. God is everlasting. This life is fleeting. And so teach us to number. And we're not talking math. First, God is everlasting, verses 1 to 4. In the desert wilderness, with no dwelling to call home year after year, Moses begins his prayer with, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. In all the generations, the generations are changing, but God is everlasting. Moses is marveling at God's everlasting nature. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses is figuring out God's nature is not tied to time as we know it. Moses looks at the mountains and says, before these, God was. Before Half Dome, Everest, God was. Before the coastal redwoods and sequoias, God was. A couple of weeks ago, my parents visited. We took them to Mirror Woods, and they've never seen trees of that stature. And I noted that uh, some of these trees, not these particular ones, but redwoods grow up to 2,000 years old. And my dad made the comment, "Uh, this tree was born when Jesus was walking on earth, or it could have been. See, time is connected to all physical things. In fact, Einstein's theory of relativity, the little that I know of it, suggests that time is a physical property. When God created things, he also created time. Created things are bound to time, but every created thing that we see, the mountains, the trees, the earth, they all point to a creator who is above time. Commonly, uh, a lot of Christians, uh, believers in God, are told to uh, look at the grandeur of nature, the Grand Canyon, and then you'll see, you kind of have a glimpse of the grandness of God. Drove 10 hours from Los Angeles to go to Grand Canyon to show my kids the Grand Canyon. They go there and they take one look, one look. I kid you not. They say, boring, (laughs) committed. Right then and there, I, until they are ready to appreciate it, I will not do that again. Lisa knows. No, we're told, look at the, Job, Job 37 calls people to listen to God's controlling power over clouds and lightning flashes. Psalm 19 is much more well known. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. In Psalm 90, believers in God or to look to the age of created age of created things to get a glimpse of the everlasting nature of God. Look at our time and see God's timelessness. 
In Making Sense of Time, sorry, in the book Making Sense of God, Tim Keller writes about a Czech writer and revolutionary turned statesman, Václav Havel. One day when he was in prison, he looked out into the crown of a great tree and suddenly was overcome by a sensation that he had stepped outside time in which all the beautiful things I've ever seen and experienced existed in a total co-present. Co-present is what traditionally would have been called eternity. Havel was flooded with a sense of ultimate happiness and harmony and felt that he was standing at the very edge of the infinite. For God to be everlasting or eternal is not just an infinite number of years plus one. No, it's not a, when I was a little kid, and yes, I was once little, I used to fall asleep trying to think about the concept of infinity. A lot of years plus one, fall asleep. No, no. From everlasting to everlasting means three things. Jimmy, God has no beginning and no end. Job 36 says the number of his years is unsearchable. Two, Eric Raymond says everlasting to everlasting means transcendence, that he is outside of time, space, and history, wholly set apart as distinct from creation. Theologian Charles Hodge says, with God there is no distinction between present, past, and future. That should blow your mind. All things are equally and always present to him. This is a fundamentally different way of looking at time. We can only see and understand time as past, present, and future. God has no such constraints. Three, everlasting life with God is not just this life multiplied by a lot of years. That's not everlasting. Yes, it's, yes it, that's part of it. But everlasting life or eternal life is a life qualitatively, fundamentally, different than this life. Eat ice cream, it's pretty good. Eat a lot of it, you gain weight. Heaven, it's amazing. It must be so good and no calories. You could eat as much as you want, qualitatively different. Here, cracker and Welch's grape juice. In heaven, the banqueting table of God, qualitatively different. It's, we're talking better than Hogwarts. This is good stuff. The best food on earth. Moses prays that people learn of God's everlasting nature that is unlike creation, unlike created things, unlike creatures. God is everlasting, eternal. So see, verse four, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. Whereas a watch in the night that's the first thing that you got to learn about time management. God is above it all. Here's the second thing. Man is fleeting. Life is fleeting. Verse 3, 5, and 6. Verse 3 says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Now this is an echo of God's curse and judgment on Adam and Eve, the progenitors of mankind. Genesis 3, but the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall 
return. Returning to dust is talking about the fleeting nature of life. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Everything returns to dust. Ecclesiastes 3.20, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, a carl that appears for a little time and then vanishes, James 4. Who names their fog? Only San Franciscoans. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath, Psalm 39. See, Moses continues to paint the picture of a fleeting life with nature. Verse 5, you sweep them away as with a flood. We're talking about Noah. They are like a dream, a mirage in the desert, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Moses saw desert grass, not unlike the grass of NorCal, renewed by water from morning dew, and in the evening it fades, withers. That's man's fleeting life. The point is clear. Created things are bound to time, and we feel it. We feel it in in the body. The above, look, Moses is not arguing out of, you know, um, he's not making a rational argument. He's not saying, boom, the older that you get, you know, time decreases. Every 15 seconds, every year, it just decreases over time. No, he's not making an irrational statement. What he's saying is, don't you feel it? Don't you experience it? When I was 17, I I would calculate, 52 years will pass and then I'll be 70. That's mentioned as one of the upper limits of life. And it's just a calculation. But at age 17, 70 is not imaginable because it seems so far away. One of my anthems was the song Forever Young by Alphaville. You know the vibe, right? Forever young, I want to be forever. I can't sing, you know, like Pastor Sam, coming back to listen to, you know, forever young, I want to be forever young, right? Now I'm 53. Past 20 years seem like a dream fading. I once had leg muscles. Now I can barely stand sometimes. Why is life fleeting? You'll see it in verse 7. That life is brought to an end by God's anger. Now, this anger is not this random flare-up of God after a few instances of our mistakes. No. Israel, in the wilderness, had this corporate attitude towards God of grumbling. Grumbling. Now, Moses is attributed to be the author of Psalm 90. In fact, this may be the oldest psalm. He's leading Israel, he's led Israel out of Egypt after 10 plagues. People grumble against God 10 times corporately, grumbling basically means that being slaves to Egyptian masters is better than following God and Moses, his representative. So God curses them so that they will go through the desert wilderness where Numbers 14 records this, your dead body shall fall in this wilderness and of all your number listed from the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb and Joshua. So imagine this. Each time the Israelites camp in the desert wilderness and they break camp, they leave a portion of all the people, 20 years old and up, 
behind. And it was guaranteed that everybody 20 years old and up would not see the promised land. Can you imagine that? Generation after generation after generation. Man is fleeting. Moses is feeling the pain, the toil and trouble. For those who still think that God's anger and judgment for sin is unreasonable, Moses says that, oh, you know, because you didn't really do that many bad things in your life. You didn't commit all these atrocious sins. Moses says that God knows not only the sins committed that others can see, but our secret sins in the light of his presence. See, sin is sin, not just the ones you didn't get found out. See, that puts the fear of God in me. That should put the fear of God in all of us. See, we want to deny that we don't deserve judgment. We want to deny that death is a judgment. We think that death happens when humans wear humans. We wear down our organs and parts. Or we get some disease, a pandemic or tragedy. And with advances in medicine, we deny, we try to deny death. Death seems surprising. In the book, A Time to Keep, Ephraim Radner argues that mankind has lost our creatureliness, our frailty, our temporariness. We lose how fleeting our lives are. With that loss, we cannot read the Bible correctly, nor relate to an everlasting God. Aiding this loss is the great transition. The great transition is the dramatic increase in life expectancy and decrease in infant mortality that much of the world has experienced in the last century and a half. This happened rapidly enough that he suggests that we have not even begun to reckon with how dramatically it has reshaped our understanding of virtually every area of human life. Indeed, rather than recognizing this as a divine gift that it is, we have come to regard it as inevitable, and expected. We lose our creatureliness and think that we are masters of our destiny and life. Mike Bowmores says, people don't typically think of the relationship between their mortality, their sin, and God's judgment. So Moses asks, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? The answer to that rhetorical question is, no one does. None of us gets it right. None of us truly understand the everlastingness of God and our fleeting life. No one gets this right. Every man, woman, and child needs to grow in knowing the everlasting God and our fleeting nature. Why? To get rid of pride that we are masters of our time and of our lives. We're so much more temporary, momentary, Brief, ephemeral, transient. Yet God is so much more. He's infinity and beyond. So Moses asks on behalf of God's people, teach us to number our days. Verses 12 to 17. Commentator Alan Ross says, to number along with the word days means more than counting the days till retirement. To number includes planning, carrying out and evaluating activities in our time in the light of God. Hmm. Consider how we plan, carry out, and evaluate our lives. 
Heading into the teen years, some of you are there, uh, heading into the teen years, either there is much wasting of time, YOLO, um, I don't use that term much, but there you are, FOMO, YOLO, let's make up other words, but YOLO, you only live once. We use that as a justification to uh, go skydiving or car racing or, you know, whatever escapes that you have. There's so many that you have. Or you spend all the teen years anxious to preparing for the future, get into that college, get into that career path, thinking that we're the masters of our time, one way or the other. I can waste it or be anxious about it. In the early years of developing a career and or starting a family, uh, we spend a lot of time establishing our financial footing, raising kids just right, or spending, getting into hobbies because now we can afford it. We're so busy carrying those out or living out our lives you know, with our hopes and dreams. There's far less time for God. We're so busy as life flies by that we sometimes need cameras in our pockets to capture, capture moments, lest we quickly forget. But we haven't carved out time to think about the everlasting nature of God and the fleetingness of our lives. In the latter years of life, we look back and evaluate, are we enjoying the latter years? Kids, are they doing well or not? Health? And plan, we make plans thinking, this is how I'm gonna enjoy what we had worked for. Again, Tim Keller notes in Making Sense of God, in a secular age like ours, and even religious people, tend to choose loves and spouses, careers and friendships, and financial options with no higher goal than their own, listen very carefully, no higher goal than their own present time personal happiness. Sacrificing personal peace and affluence for transcendent causes becomes rare, even for people who say they believe in absolute values and eternity. Our secular age can thin out faith until it is seen as simply one more choice in life along with a job, recreation, hobbies, and politics rather than as the comprehensive framework that determines all life choices. Do you hear that? We mess up time management. <laughs> Why? Because we don't have the comprehensive framework of an everlasting God and the fleetingness of our lives. And we make life's choices without God in mind and with our frailty in mind. So what must we do? We must pray for the everlasting God. We must pray before the everlasting God and then feel our fleeting life and, and then plan, then carry out, then evaluate. This past week in the walk, it wasn't a hike, in the walk at the Calaveras Big Tree State Park, there were the roots of a fallen sequoia left exposed. On the left side of the path, there were the sequoia roots. On the right side of the path, a bench. I believe the purpose of the bench is to sit, to encourage people to sit there. I was gonna show you a picture, but there you go to sit there and to contemplate. What? What are, you, what are they trying to encourage people to contemplate about? It is the immensity and immensity 
in the timeline of a tree, as well as one's smallness and the brevity of life before it. Do that. Sit there before the immensity of God, and in relation to him, our fleeting brief life, and then do time management. I once had a plan, get married, run a camp like I owned it. You know, if I had it my way, Mount Hermon, that's a plug for the retreat, Mount Hermon, if I owned it, you know what it is? I would rename it, right? Mount Fuji, right? <laughs> the best camp ever. It's gonna be amazing. Water, amazing water fountains. Now with those plans only partially true, I calculate, you know what? I calculate that my, my oldest son is about to turn 10, and I'm thinking, you know what? I only have eight years. If he goes to college, I only have eight years to disciple him. That's too short. It's not enough. His selfishness is too strong. How do I counsel that out of him before he goes off to college? I only have one shot. I'm not going to throw away my shot on that. Now, in carrying out life, I've been busy with Wellspring, Kids Camp, you know, all the things that we need for the house. And thankfully, as my parents visited and reminded me, and as Lisa, my wife, has reminded me, to protect my regular time of prayer, meditating on scripture and praying from that, to grow deeper in God, who's so much holier, eternal, everlasting, and I more sinful and temporary, fleeting, and then to get grace. I need to protect that. That's how I can truly carry out life the way it's supposed to be. I think about how I will evaluate life. What is the legacy I will leave behind? A building, a water fountain named after me. What shall I leave my children? <laughs> uh, some money. Maybe a house. Um, maybe an inheritance so that my kids don't have to work and they get affluenza, robbing kids of motivation to work or be useful in life. They end up wasting their time. No, what I want to leave them is the gospel and the joy that is found in Jesus. One of the most played songs in my playlist this past few months is by Stephanie Gretzinger. The title of the song is No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus. I love these four lines. Let my children tell their children, let this be their memory, that all my treasure is in heaven, and you were everything to me. So let us ask God for time management and the light of the everlasting God in this fleeting life. But see, more, see, more than a principle to learn. This is more than that. It's not just a principle to learn. See, this time management comes Really, because it transforms our hearts, who we worship. You'll see it in the second half of verse 12 and then 13. All this is to get a heart of wisdom. Wisdom in the heart, as Proverbs 1 says, begins with God and in awe of God. So the prayer is for God to return. We need you to dwell with us. We need you. We need a, to get a correct perspective of you. So return, O oh Lord. When shall you return? 
We gotta pray to God for pity, verse 13. Pray to God for steadfast love, verse 14. Even after a life, a whole life of time mismanagement, what do we need? His steadfast love and forgiveness, his pity. Some of you are thinking, man, I've really messed up my life. Messed up my life up to age 18. I messed up my life to age 45. And you're hitting that age, you're like, you know what, there may be some regrets in life. And you feel like, you know what, my time's up. I can't redeem the wrongs. See, the good news is this. For as many days, look at the passage, as many days and as many years of affliction and evil, toil and trouble, God will make even more days of rejoicing and gladness. How is that possible? How can a life of toil and trouble that ends in death due to God's judgment be turned into a numbering of days, days that cannot be numbered of rejoicing and gladness? Why? Because there's a better, better Moses. Moses looked towards Jesus. In Jesus, God does return. Jesus is the man of sorrows, toil and trouble. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Isaiah 53. Jesus continues to demonstrate steadfast love in the face of 10 times of grumbling? No, a thousand times of grumbling against God, seeking after false gods. His death and resurrection is the certainty of forgiveness of each and every one of those times in the many days and and years of affliction. His death and resurrection turns them to many years of rejoicing. How do we know? (laughs) How do we know? that no matter how many days you've messed up, how many times of time mismanaging your time, that God will redeem it. See, in Isaiah 9, there's an interesting little part that every Christmas we're reminded. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, right? The wonderful counselor, everlasting Father. And all the commentators are like, why is that there? Why is that there? One commentator says this. Yeah, Jesus has fatherly characteristics. He takes, care, he takes care of us. But one of the commentators says this. It could mean Jesus is the father of time because he's over it. He created all things. He's the father of time. That means that his death and resurrection enters into our time momentarily. And when we get his resurrection, what is it? What is resurrection life? But eternal, everlasting life. That's what we're promised. That's what we want. And when we get Jesus, we get the everlasting Father, we see our frailty, and yet in him, yet in him, we have hope. We have hope. We can have gladness. We can have joy. Let's go to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. Jesus, you are over time. Help us to get off that throne. Help us to be humbled that we're not the master, masters of our time, of our lives. Jesus, thank you for breaking into our time and experiencing our fleeting, brief life. 
ultimately to give us resurrection, eternal life. Make that real here as we go to your table. In Jesus' name.